0: the book of Philippians. It's been really refreshing to be in the book of, ref- of uh, I was going to say, it's been really refreshing to be in the book of Refreshing. That's what I was going to say, but uh, you wouldn't go there with me, would you? We can't look up the book of Refreshing. Um, but I think that Philippians is, I think uh, it's it's a great letter from the Apostle Paul to a church that he's stoked on. A lot of the letters you'll look at in uh, the Bible, uh, he's he's writing to them and he's like, yeah, this is uh, not good. This is uncool. You guys are devouring each other here or you're accepting a wackadoodle teaching here or whatever. And so he's usually realigning the church and saying, hey, uh, wake up. Let's get back to the things that God has for us. And so Philippians is refreshing in that. And and In fact, the overall thematic as people look at that book is that they think of it as a book of joy. And so we see... uh, and we talked last week that that's kind of a, a funny dichotomy that it's considered the book of joy when it's written by a guy who's in jail. And so you have the circumstances of, of jail, of suffering, of persecution that Paul's going through, but yet he's the vehicle that God uses to bring joy to uh, the church. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today and what it means to go, to be perhaps in suffering and what the spectrum of, of being in suffering, and that's just a super popular topic, by the way. Suff- we're going to talk about suffering today and we're all not so pumped up about that. So, uh, but there is suffering going on. And, uh, but there's a spectrum that can lead all the way to what seems to be on the other side of the spectrum, but perhaps it may even be within. And so we we'll challenge our thoughts today, and I think the Scriptures will to go, okay, there's suffering, but what about this thing called joy? And last week we talked a little bit about joy to go, joy even seems a little foreign. It seems a little... Over-the-top, like Disneyland on steroids-type, happiest place on the, on the planet, joy. Really? Like, what is joy? And as we talked about that, we thought, uh, well, Philippians and Paul really kind of broke down to say, here's some elements of joy. Here's the disposition in which I not only look at the church, but that I speak to you and what I'm speaking from. And his disposition that he's speaking from is joy. And so we're like, okay, slow it down there, joy. And uh, we came to a conclusion that joy was something of the kingdom. That joy only came through Christ... That it's a, it's a heavenly commodity that you can't fabricate. Like you can make yourself happy and have these temporal situations where you kind of devise something and you're like, I'm going to make myself happy this next hour. I'm going to make myself the super duper uh, sandwich that I always like or whatever and gee whiz I'm happy. But other than that of, of fabricating or making up things that make us happy that God says there's this joy that he can deliver and he is the only one to make it complete. And the conclusion really was this, it's a gospel conclusion. We use that word a lot, so you, you might want to start to think and ask questions why we use that word a lot. And I'm not going to totally explain it right now other than the gospel was you can't get to joy or receive joy unless it comes through Jesus Christ. And that usually stokes people who know Jesus Christ and it's very confusing for people who don't know Christ yet. They go, well, why couldn't I, how is that not possible for me to have that experience? And so here's what the elements of joy were before we go into this next piece of Philippians, is prayer. So if Jesus is, has the joy, if, if he's got it, then we would be in prayer. And uh, prayer helps produce the joy. And so what we saw is we saw a church leader looking at the church, and he's saying, this is when I pray, whenever I think of you. When you come to my mind, when, you know, in this day and age, it'll be like, when you come up on uh, Facebook, or whenever uh, you email me, I'm praying for you. And then he says, my disposition is that it comes from love. I'm filled, my heart's filled. So it's not only of the mind, whenever I think of you, but also there's a connection to my heart, and I'm filled up. And so prayer is essential when we're praying for each other. That gets us on the way toward joy. And then he said this, gospel relationship, which just means this, relationship centered in Christ. He says, so first I'm talking to God about you, and then not only am I talking to God about you, and he's bringing you to my mind and in my heart, but in our relationship, our gospel relationships. And then he says another outpouring of that, where we can see joy, and we can see that joy gets birth, is not only us doing life together in relationship, which can also which can involve this suffering, and also bring us to joy. Like we can go through conflict together. So he says prayer, and then he says us doing life together, and then he says our transformation, our gospel behavior. These are the elements that you you begin to see joy. Today we're going to talk about, okay, so a little bit for us, what joy is, and we may go, okay, I'm kind of in touch with that, I've prayed a little bit in my life, I, I know people that love Jesus, I've been hanging with people that, that love Jesus, and my behaviors, I understand these transformations, and that has brought joy to me to see my conduct and my behavior change, and in fact, my behavioral changes and conduct changes have stoked others, have actually, the changes in me have brought joy to other people. So he says, okay, so we've kind of got a little bit of joy established. And the week before, just to remind you, was hope. So this hope that gets lassoed around the promises that God has for us. Lassoed to the cross. So we we place our hope in Jesus. And so we're moving along. And I kind of gave you this water skiing thing. I'm not sure if it was even a good illustration at all. um, But I still haven't shaken it myself. And so as we, we... we're attached to the power of the Holy Spirit that's moving us along like we're water skiing in faith. We're really happy. And we're, trying to, we're going, okay, my hope's in God and, I'm, and He's moving me in a real way. Not a fakey, fabricated, like, i got to make this faith thing happen, but God's actually moving you because you've placed your hope and your faith in Him. And then when we're up and going, He goes, oh, and I'm going to deliver joy to you. So what do we do with that hope? And joy is the next place to go is into serving. So when you've received things from God, you give it away. It's a natural disposition. Ah, it's a supernatural disposition. Because inside of us, the truth is, it takes a lot for us to really serve somebody in the way of joy and love and selflessness. But today we're going to look at part one of the joy of ministry. In particular, what does it mean to advance this story that we talk about every week? What does it mean for the story of Jesus to go forward? But I like to be realistic. So when we speak about joy, it's like joy. Okay, I'm way more in touch with suffering. And so I just held one of the newspapers that I got for during the week. And I'm not going to read the newspaper to you necessarily here, but... Um, but maybe some titles. The front page, um, there's horrific suffering happening in this world. The contrast here of when we sing shout to the north and the south and the east and the west, there's not a direction you can't look right now. And sometimes that direction is a foot away from you. Sometimes that direction never even leaves you. Sometimes it goes around the world, but... There's suffering in this world. We're very familiar with suffering. Disaster and chaos as a 7.0 quake hits Haiti. We're so in touch with suffering that the news knows that it sells. The headlines of suffering, the headlines of scandal, the headlines of anxiety. We live in an age of fear. Should we remain there? Should we go, disaster and chaos hits Haiti? We should, or can we serve that? Is there a joy of ministry that we can bring to the people of Haiti? Tax measures, who's going to pay? Assisted living facility sued over death. Well, somebody's going to pay. That's why we're suing. Somebody brought ultimate suffering on somebody else, and they're going to pay for that. Fred Rosenbaum, leader Holocaust survivor, dies at 83. The MRSA nightmare—the drug-resistant germ—kills thousands a year, and it's responsible to, for two-thirds of all staff infection. Suffering doesn't seem like it's going to stop. It goes on and on, and there's seven or eight more pieces, and 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 there's. There's pieces of suffering that you're familiar with. So where's the joy? I want you to, right now, think about some suffering that you've been through. Perhaps you've been through suffering recently. Something that's creating fear for you. Maybe it's a next step. So if today's message, if, if Paul is saying... The joy that you receive, the hope that you have in God is that you move forward and you begin to have a ministry, that you you push that forward, that you move these kingdom things beyond yourself by the power of Christ. But I think a lot of the times we have to go, how have I suffered in order for me to be compassionate, truly compassionate towards Haiti, towards my neighbors, towards the recession that happens, towards the unemployment that goes on, towards the brokenness that's in this neighborhood. I have to be in touch with the suffering that I've gone through. In fact, I would even say that, that sometimes we go, well, maybe what if I didn't suffer? I just don't relate with people who suffer. I would challenge you today. I think the scriptures are going to challenge you to go, oh, really? Suffering happened the day you were born. Ask your mother. And then ask your mother the outcome of that suffering. It was joy. Was there worth in suffering? Sometimes when I think of suffering and pain and the anxiety, I I get the picture in nineteen eighty nine, some of you are like, Yeah, I was two. Okay, so maybe it's not something that comes to your mind, all right? Tiananmen Square. One man. Suffering a voice, a symbol for a suffering nation that is not free. Stands before a tank in one of the largest um, staging areas on the planet where they normally stage military parades for China. And this unknown man, I don't know if he's dead today or not, stood in opposition to fear. He stood boldly before what was causing suffering. But sometimes I, I think that we feel that way. We're one person and we feel lonely in that. This is why uh, I'd like you to turn... To the book of Philippians, right now. We've also printed it up if you have one of the Sunday brochures. We're still in Philippians 1, and we're going to go uh, verse 12 to 18. I want to remind you that Paul is facing death, and so the person writing this is not writing hypocritically. The person who's about to, to say, hey, there's suffering, and, uh, but there's some good things that are coming through my suffering, this is somebody very in touch with suffering, that has experienced suffering, that knows suffering, that actually believes in the fellowship of suffering, that, that, felt that, that to live is to have suffering. He has a disposition to say, this is a no-duh. If you're human, you've suffered and are suffering. And so But he writes this in his suffering, and there's joy that comes to him. You know, joy that comes to him. First of all, I want you to think about that dark place that, that imprisons you. Maybe you've never been in prison, but emotionally, you've maybe been depressed or something's oppressed or suppressed you, and you're in that dark spot when you' are in that spot when you're challenging everything that you've done or the way that you've lived your life, and you're at that spot where you're like, I'm tired of this pain, to stand boldly in front of a tank would be a joke right now. When you're in that spot feeling lonely and probably at your wits end going, I don't know the next step, I don't know how this is going to happen, I don't know what's going on. When you're in that spot These are the spots that God so clearly can speak to you and wants to speak to you. And in this case, for the book of Philippians, Paul is in this spot. Paul is human. Some people want to exalt Paul into superhero. He's an amazing apostle. He's an amazing person that God used to write many letters, much of the New Testament. But in his suffering, you can rest assured in his humanity, he's going, Can this suffering pass? As we know that of, of even Jesus saying, is there a way for this cup to pass? Suffering brings us to that spot. And what happens? Epaphroditus. I don't even know how to say it. Because I don't know him. I just If I knew him, I'd call him E. But this guy from the church of Philippi is sent out Go see Paul in this dark place. Will you let God send somebody to your dark place? Is that even on the radar? Is that even up for conversation? Does, does God's people, is there any space for them in your darkness? it is one powerful way that God tells you He loves you. It is one very real sign and symbol of God's glory and His love is when a faithful servant of Christ comes to you in your pain. And that's what happens. And you know what He's bringing? He's bringing from a poor church, an impoverished church, a generous offering. He's saying, Hey, Paul, here's what you asked for. We're in with you. We're totally down with you. Paul's like, yeah, you are, E. I mean, we tight, E. Thank you. Let me send a little letter to take back. This is that letter. Please stand as we read that letter. Verse 12 of chapter 1 of Philippians. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ, verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of a rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. You may be seated. He's given a progress report. I want you to know. Look at verse 12. I want you to know. He's saying, here's the report coming back that I'm going to send back with E back to Philippi. Here's what's happened. You know all these circumstances that have happened to me? These circumstances have been used to advance the Gospel. So I want you to go back to your dark place. So in that dark spot, in that place where you're feeling captive and, and chained, could God use your suffering and the position that you're in to glorify Himself and advance the gospel? And Paul says, Yeah, absolutely. That darkest spot, that's that crazy pain that you're going through or have had to experience that can be used to advance the Gospel. And so essentially, let's get punchline here, he's reporting back that despite me being in prison, for Jesus, by the way, despite me being in prison, God is using all of these circumstances to somehow advance the Gospel. The Gospel will be advanced in spite of any circumstance. He's saying, even guys who may not be so godly, they're, they're doing some things to antagonize me. They're irritating me. And they're, they're speaking of my... And yet, the Gospel still goes out because of their own foolishness. And the truth is, is, I want you to see, as we read this scripture, you, there, a lot of times we like to put things in silos, or I, I call them uh, Tupperware bins. We want to go, okay, bad people like this, put them in the Tupperware there, and good people, they stay fresh in there, and we put them there. And then these are nice things, and I'll use this for later, we want to really categorize, and, but the truth is, is the work of the gospel is really messy that real life is messy between suffering and joy and sometimes you're like suffering joy what yeah. hey sometimes we want to go well rivalry and envy that's the bad way to advance the gospel and then sometimes we go goodwill and love that's the only way and Paul is sitting here saying no god will use everything on this planet in the whole spectrum to bring his message of freedom, of joy, of hope, of deliverance, of redemption. I'll use the whole thing. Everything can be a vehicle toward teaching and revealing who I am. So this should, in, this should increase the hope that we've been talking about a little bit. I know that it's a mind trip and a little bit uh, we have this untrust, but the suffering that you 've gone through the tr- that makes you probably most mad, that maybe even destroyed a piece of your identity, that it's taken you years and years and years to be a part of, that very thing is what God wants to use to bring forth the gospel. Because that's what the testimony is, is that the gospel will never be held down by anything. No circumstance, no pretense, whether it's somebody being a good howdy doody Christian, or they're lousy and they're trying to slander a Christian brother. God says, I'll use it all, because I will reign. My word will go forth. That's exciting, but it's it's also personal. These These letters are written to a church and to a community, but as you read that, and as you know your suffering, you need to ask yourself, am I willing to let God use this? See, some of us have been through suffering, but we don't speak about what God did in it. Some of us are suffering, but we're unwilling to have God and others be a part of it and speak into it. God wants His glory. And He wants you to be a part of it. He's going to get it one way or the other. That's who God is. That's why we look at suffering, the suffering question many times, and we go, why suffering? What kind of God would, would be a part of suffering? Well, people do not read the Word or are not in prayer or understanding what God does and how He delivers His image and, 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 and how there is a fellowship of suffering. God has a view of it. There's a theology of suffering. God chooses to use everything that's existing to point to Him. So when we get to pain, we, and we know this, when we sit in that suffering cell Many times we're much more open to hear the voice of God come to us. People go, "Well, that's just because you're super weak." Well, in your weakness, the Scriptures say he is a strong. He is strong. Will you look at Second Corinthians twelve with me, or at least write it down? I'll read it to you. That sounded like a deal. You know, just If you guys would at least write it down, I'll read it, okay? One of us has got to read it. I'm up here already. <laughs> Second Corinthians 12. A little bit of the vision of suffering of what it's been like for Paul. It's pretty audacious and, and not overly comfortable, by the way, because it's not a popular thing to sit there and go, hey, and you know, God's got a fellowship of suffering. and Everybody's like, uh, don't sign me up for that club. But we see that in... Stories like um, Job in the Bible and we see the story of Paul and ultimately we see it in our Savior that God uses suffering. There's a fellowship. There's, and, and, and it's a, actually a part of our journey together. Oh dear. I thought this was about the joy of ministry. Well, let's hear. So Paul says this in Second Corinthians 12. He says, I speak into a different context. He's speaking to a church that that is uh, kind of full of themselves. I, we've said a little bit, they're a little bit like Portland, Corinth. Is, they're very successful, they're very independent, they're indie people. Yeah, but they're a little arrogant, they're a little bit hostile, and they got a little bit of anger going on. We've never seen that around here. Um, it's not an us and them, because we're like that too. So anyway, sorry, I had to give you that bad news. Self-esteem killer. Okay, verse 1, I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. He's talking about himself. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. He says, and I know this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast. I'm sorry, I think he's speaking of John there. And he says this, Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So he's talking about this struggle of of boasting, of being arrogant, and he's speaking to them. And he says in verse 7, So to keep from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. So he's speaking of his suffering. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but He said to me, this is God speaking to him, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." the circumstances he's saying here's what's happened to me and god's keeping me humble in that suffering and as some of us are going through difficulties we know maybe we don't know that god can use this maybe at the at your the bottom of your soul you know that god has a plan in all of this But it's been very confusing. I think this is one of those dividers. This is one of those things where we go, I'm not in the God game. Me suffering is not cool. And I think we see much of even Christians who may even read the Bible and may even hear testimonies like that in 2 Corinthians where Paul's saying, in my weaknesses, in my hardships, saying this is a piece of my journey. I even asked God three times, take this away. And so we're like, the suffering thing, and this is a big deal for a lot of us who have been hurt, we're like, no, I want to be protected from suffering. I don't want to be, have anything to do with suffering. Are you kidding me? How would this be a part of the Christian life? I thought God was a rescuer. Can't He rescue me from that? And some people say, well, this suffering that I'm going through, you rescue me through that, I'll do a deal with you. Is there any kind of deal? Can, is there any way to prevent pain and suffering? And so we, we have this conversation going with God where we plead with God, but then all of a sudden He says stuff like, I am strong in your weakness. I am made known in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. So what he's saying is, in your weakness, what I'm wanting you to do is draw closer to me. Don't draw farther from me. I want to deal with your weakness and your suffering. Because the truth is, check this out, some of the suffering that we endure is not always righteous. A lot of times people will be like, well, I'm suffering like Jesus. Well, you were hungover. You're suffering in, in the toilet because you sinned. Well, I'm suffering. I'm paying child support. Well, that's because you slept with nine chicks. Well, I'm suffering. Sometimes we put ourselves in suffering cell. We look at the suffering. But I, I want you to think about churches. Churches work really hard, especially in this country over the last 50 years, to be super, super clean and and sterile and God's like no it's much more like an ER there's stuff flying everywhere and a lot of us go I don't want to know tell me when we've cleaned up the blood and sometimes we work hard to go no there can't be any suffering I just want to see happy people can't you be happy Red Sea, I'm here to tell you, you are a disappointment in the happiness factor at times. (laughs) But that's because there's a faith that is persevering. There's character that's being changed. There's actually a value. We can see the worth overall, and we are to encourage each other to endure, right? But what good could be made of suffering? there's a hero of the faith her name is Cory Ten Boom she has a sister and her sister's name was Betsy for short these long dutch names they were from netherlands and they were these dutch reform girls and they they grew up in this christian family and and when the war broke out and when hitler went to 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 go exterminate um their family said not on our watch. And so they began to, to, to hide Jews. And, um, and they were humble people. Um, educated, but, but humble. The father was a, a watchmaker. And Cory was uh, actually the first certified watchmaker in the Netherlands. And so she had her own career. And they loved Jesus. And they hid Jews from Hitler. And, and for that, uh, they went to a concentration camp. And uh, the story is called The Hiding Place. If you ever want to rent it, it's a movie made a, a while back, and there's a book. But I, I thought that she was... Her book would give some enlightenment into the suffering and, and because I knew this was there. So I want to read you a piece of this story between these two sisters and their experience. Let's see if God can use everything on the planet. We must go everywhere and tell everyone... This is. We're just catching into of the story. There's no, no pit so deep that he's not deeper still. Elizabeth Ten Betsy stared into her sister, Corey's eyes with the pure love that she was. Ravensbruck was one of the worst concentration camps in Germany. Fleas and lice were so thick that upon entering the bunk room, one became swarmed in them. The stench of burning flesh from those who were murdered without warning was a constant stare into the face of death. The food was one half pound of bread and one half liter of soup per day. The work so hard that the women had swollen legs and were losing circulation in no time. To make matters worse, the women fought one another for everything. They cursed, pushed, shoved each other. Even if someone was simply stepped on or bumped, rarely donated clothes and blankets caused horrible uproars. The few nurses who had access to items such as soap, vitamins, and underwear charged prices such as a week's bread ration for undergarments, 25 guilders for soap, and two days bread for any pills. So was there any hope in this awful place? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome. Betsy had been frail from birth and was so weak that she was staggering from the weight a small pail filled with rocks. The guard laughed at her and imitated Betsy's walk. Some of the prisoners laughed as well. Her sister, Corrie, was astonished. Betsy, too, was laughing. That is, that's me, that's, that's me, all right, she said. You better let me keep going anymore and I'll stop altogether. The guard was enraged and began to mercilessly whipping Betsy. She cried out repeatedly in pain but her eyes were filled with compassion. Corey and Betsy had smuggled a Bible into the camp and traded it back and forth during the day. If the guards found one or caught anyone having meetings, they were to be executed. At first, the women held these meetings very timidly, but as the weeks wore on and no guards came in the bunk room, they grew bolder. Corey marveled at this. Why was it that no guard came in? Betsy excitedly told Corey, "I found out for sure, Corey. I overheard two guards. The guards will not step foot in the bunk room because of the fleas. Thank God for fleas!" She exclaimed. The woman added to their prayers daily. I've never heard that prayer. Thank God for fleas and lice. It's astounding. When you hear somebody say, thank God for my, that's upside down, isn't it? That's not the economy we live in or or really want to. This is the economy Paul is talking about and calling us into and teaching us to. What's happened, look at verse 13. Well, we're all, all the way into our second verse. Verse 13 says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So verse 12, he says, here's the progress report. My circumstances have advanced the gospel. This is what's happened to me. And he says, sometimes, you know, he doesn't say this, but I'm thinking, sometimes our suffering is so bad we wish that we were never born. I've talked to people who say those kind of things in their difficult times. And then we say, "How can Christ be a part of this?" And we hear Hori Timboom's sister declare praises to God because of fleas that make it possible for them to boldly proclaim Christ to each other and to all of the Jewish women that they are doing life with. And then in 13, he says, "The gospel became known." So here's another picture for us. The gospel became known. We talked last week. He's writing this, and, and the mindset is that he's he's imprisoned by these by Rome, and he's being guarded by an imperial guard. And so here's what's happening. So you've got Paul and his heart for the church, and his desire, but moreover his desire for people to know God, and so he gets over his own suffering in light of what can he give in compassion, in boldness, and out of love towards others, even in the space that he's at. A lot of times we go, "Well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not very bold. I'm kind of kickback. I'm a little shy. Here's the reasons that I can't be used by God to be a part of ultimately what he is saying is a joy of ministry." Here's what Paul's doing. Paul, the closest guard to him, he's sharing him, sharing with him. We're humans. He's sharing who God is. He's finding common ground with him. And here's what this word says. These circumstances stink. But here's what's happened to me. The whole Imperial Guard. We're talking, once I studied it, eight to nine thousand people. Eight to nine thousand guards in the Imperial Guard, and they're all talking Jesus. Because one guy is suffering in his circumstances in prison. And he starts speaking to these other guards. And now the guards are going, accepting Christ and now they're talking to each other. And now the Gospel is spread throughout the whole imperial guard. And the reason is because Paul is imprisoned for Christ, not for himself. Not for being a wise guy. He's there because he will not stop gripping the message of Jesus. He won't. He's not selling out. No matter how much they try and make him suffer. And then here's what happens, you guys. The church, other Christians, start criticizing Paul. So here's what's interesting about us learning. How does the gospel get advanced? In this passage, it says, it even comes through those who are, and these are your little blanks if you're the note writers out there, this is envy and rivalry. How does the gospel advance? So there's these circumstances that seem to suck. Sorry if that offends you. But sometimes it does. And these are some really nasty situations. And he says, here's what's going on that I'm doing for Christ. I, I'm, I, nobody's enjoying the suffering. But what has happened is the gospel has become advanced. So not only is he in prison and he has his own suffering in that, But now other believers are going, that's a bad theology. You shouldn't be there. You know, suffering is not a piece. And we know that this happens today. This kind of false gospel and false teaching happens today and goes against those who are suffering. There's a fellowship of suffering, but there's a whole bunch of Christians that believe you should never suffer. If you really had the right faith, you wouldn't be suffering. And there's a shame basing in that. There's there's a programmatic production, entertainment type ministries that say, when you've arrived, you'll have stuff. You'll never be sick. And you should be wealthy. So if you're really following God, you'll have these things. Well, there's a natural course of being godly where you'll get your affairs in order and certainly fruit will come through your finances as you become a responsible person. But it is not this hyper spirituality that says your faith isn't high enough if, and you should never be suffering. And so what's happening is he's not only in prison, but the circumstances get even worse when Christians start to go against each other. I don't know if you've ever been a part of that. I have. Family fights within the Christian family, they're the worst. Everybody's throwing the name of God around. It's nasty. It's corrupt. And it's very hurtful. I'm nobody to say this other than a pastor. But I'm sorry if you've been hurt by Christians. It's terrible. Some of us are in our suffering cells because of Christians have hammered us. That's a long road to go. How can I understand that suffering exists and that it's a part of God's economy when somebody who represents God hurt me? This is why Paul, I hope you're getting this with me, this is why Paul says, this is in defense of the gospel. God doesn't need PR people. But those who value it will treasure the gospel and they will barricade in front of its manipulation. The distortion that a Christian that tells another person that you're you're wrong to be in suffering. You're wrong to have pain. You're wrong to have struggle. They are not speaking the gospel. And so, there are defenders of the gospel that say, the gospel is the true way to freedom and joy can come from suffering. In fact, it is a way that God uses. It is an avenue in which God glorifies himself. No more clearly placed than at the cross of Christ where all suffering is atoned for. Where all suffering production is extinguished what did i mean by that we sin some christians don't want to look at their sin i hear christians in this community not revealing their sin cuz afraid of suffering your sin causes others to suffer do you care This is why we have to be a repentant people. We're hurting St. John's. We're hurting this world. We're hurting our families. We're hurting our marriages. We're hurting each other. If we are truly compassionate, then truly compassionate people that want to be motivated to advance the gospel in the other two blanks for you note takers are in good will and in love and if truly the reaction right here's the gospel reaction is here's the circumstances but it is only serving the advancement of the gospel comes through these circumstances but the the chain reaction the motivation is that that it's for us it, it needs to come from goodwill and love and that means we have to have a disposition that we care about other people and not only that we have to be responsible for ourselves in the way that we care for other people and we must Repent if you're truly compassionate for your brother and your sister, and if you're a father of a household and the sins that are happening in your household, you need to be repenting for the sins that are happening underneath your responsibility and your headship. Oh well, my wife, she's doing this. She's just a sinner. Blah blah. blah. Well, yeah. Are you leading in repentance? Are you leading and laying it all down and saying, here's my sin and here's how I started the locomotive dysfunction junction train? We must be convicted to say, we also do this within the body. We have rivalry and envy of where other people are at with God and we inflict more upon them than the burden they're already carrying by being a Christ follower. We hurt each other. When will this nonsense stop? It will stop when the Gospel is adored and and considered worthy and central to everything that's going on in your life. That Your behaviors, your thought patterns, your heart, your finances are all being reconciled to that of God. And you're looking no longer through your own view, which is what happens. We look through our broken and our suffering view and we say, life sucks. I guess I just got dealt some bad cards. That's not power. That is not weakness and strength. Is strength coming from weakness? God wants to speak mightily through your shattered, broken state. Believe me. Believe Him. God is calling us to victory and to function and to compassion and love and goodwill. He's calling us to a boldness. Red Sea in 2010, are our prayers to be boldly advancing the Gospel? And will we speak the Word of God so that others will be understand a little bit more that God can do something with this suffering? Satan has spoken into the ears of people. Who, You're the only one that suffered this way. You caused it. You're never going to find a, a normal spouse. You're never, ever going to have the experience that seemingly everybody else is having. That's a joke. Marriages get put in this suffering spot and people are told and shamed that you could, this could never be restored or reconciled. People think, I've got a child that's out of hand. I can't handle this child. God can. God says stay in there. Remember your hope is lassoed to the power and the authority of the universe through Christ Jesus. We must be contrite of heart. We must understand that not only are we all suffering, we also cause suffering. So where will we be? What will our progress report be Will we speak boldly the Word of God? First to each other. What kind of business? I, the churches so want to get political and so want to get out in their society and start yapping the Word of God when they haven't spoken it to each other. That's arrogance. We should really watch ourselves to go, oh yeah, we're going to go this and this, and we're going to do all of these nice things for people. Are we a culture of compassion and of goodwill and of love? And are we motivated that way together first? And then what happens here should be a spilling out, an overflow, an abundance of what we get to give to our neighbors. But to arrogantly act as though we've got all the answers and we've applied none of the gospel answers to ourselves is total crazy hypocrisy. We must be slow to speak. The gospel can't be held by external factors circumstances hold us down. I had a conversation this week with a homeless guy, 52 years old. I've known him for years. He doesn't, I mean, we haven't. I've known of him. We pass each other. We've had one other conversation about three years ago. And um, this week, and I got to share with him the story of Christ. And invite him, not push it on him or manipulate it or ca- cage him into some religious thing, but to just invite him to see himself as God sees him. And at the end of it, it was it, to be honest, it was, pretty, it was sad. Because he told me every circumstance that keeps him from having God in his life. And sometimes we, we all do that to some degree. Here's why I can't let a piece go. We want to control our situations we want to control our own, our, even our own experience of what God asks of us. Because we've suffered, we want to control that that will never happen again. And so God is saying, do you realize the chain of reactions isn't of envy and rivalry or out of love? Or, I'm sorry, of the negative things but that God reverses the intended effects of the negative things. When Paul and his rivals are talking smack against him, that God actually uses that and affects this imperial guard even more. Who can we affect this year? If if our testimony is to be bold and of love and of goodwill, if Paul, one man, can reach into 9,000 dudes, the dudes of the Roman imperial guard, there's 12,500 people here in St. John's. There's 75,000 people in North Portland on this peninsula. Could we begin to be used? Some of, all of us don't live here, wherever you're going to go, as this gospel sends you. But as you think about that, I want to look at verse 15. 16, 17, 18. Let's close this out. It says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. We cover that. But others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Spurgeon talks about uh, people being trained. He actually uses some really hard boot camp type words to say that instead of us seeing this as a comfort palace, like a hostel A hotel for us just to come in and just have the comforts and the luxuries of the kingdom that we would actually see it more as we're like we the language that we use it at this church is we say we draw to Christ we develop and so Spurgeon says this is training and you need to be drilled that's pretty hard and then you need to be deployed out to culture so this is the mission or language that we have. Really, a lot more. And if you look at the cute little picture that I put on the front of the World War II guys coming in with these boats, they're going to storm the boat, the the beaches of Normandy. That this is a spiritual warfare, not of flesh and blood. It doesn't matter what your rivals are saying from their flesh and blood, but there's spiritual things happening here, and that we are to move by faith. Look at that picture on the front, if you can, or if you're around somebody. They're traveling and going into war. They have been trained. They have done drills. They know their role and responsibility in in the military. And they're about to dump out and be shot completely at. And if you've seen movies like Saving Private Ryan, they go out there and people are just losing everything. They're losing their limbs, their extremities, they're losing their arms and legs in there in the water and they're moving forward. And the advancement of the gospel will happen, and some of us are suffering, and as we move forward, God has a purpose for that. We are to place our hope in Christ. This does not mean that God does not have compassion. This does not mean that God is hard-hearted. He is the original one to say, I, in my good will, am motivated. He's the first advancer of the gospel, because the Father sent the Son, and the Son sends the Holy Spirit, and as the Father sent the Son, the Son and goodwill, and He goes to suffer and endure for us at the cross. And so as we see, now it's our turn, you see these warriors moving forward who know their word, have the sword, and have the armor of Ephesians. As we move forward by faith, we don't know how it's going to go down, but people will be hurt, and pe- people need to rest. Not everybody needs to be at the front, and you need to find your place and pray about that. But they had no idea how it was going to go down. My very short time, because I was a very rebellious young man, my very short time in the Marines, like seven weeks, no, I'm just kidding, uh, I went AWOL. We'll just clarify that. That's a really great characteristic of being transparent. So anyway, as I went AWOL, I did learn something before I left. The Marines don't retreat. If Marines are ambushed upon, they go right through it. That's not a marine thing. That's a God thing. Like of Gideon. God says, despite the circumstances, no matter how outnumbered you think you are, no matter how high the wall is, no matter how many tanks are standing in front of you, no matter how many fleas or lice, no matter how many sins have encaged you, no matter the suffering that you've endured or the suffering that you are truly causing others, I am for you. And I call you to this spiritual war because my glory matters and you will receive joy in the end when you are working and serving and in the joy of ministry and understand that hope delivers, that hope never disappoints. You will be filled with joy and that is something that you will never fabricate for yourself There is no vision for your life, no vision for your marriage, no vision for your bank account that is ever going to take the place of the story that God has for you as you follow Christ Jesus, the greatest warrior, and move right through the cross. And at the cross, it always comes down to this, doesn't it? we always have to look into the eyes of the suffering. The fellowship of suffering. When we see the cross and God says, you carry your cross. You carry the burden as well. You carry forward you advance the Gospel. Despite all of the crazy, ridiculous circumstances that have come into your life to make you suffer, and all of the guilt and the shame you may have over your sin that causes suffering, he says, look into the eyes of Christ. That's alright. We're all good. Because these sermons can be really long and make a child suffer. <laughs> that child's actually saying, Amen. Amen. As we see the suffering that our Jesus endured and as he calls us into the fellowship of suffering, we see that victory comes from that suffering. Just as we were born, we see the reason we are able to be reborn is that Christ the King was crucified and in His suffering comes our joy. And so every time we bring these circumstances and this rivalry and this envy and all of this craziness, we come to reconcile to God to say, we understand we are causing suffering. We are seeing suffering. We understand where will you show up, God, but by faith we believe in the power of the cross that all of the sins have been buried and we've been atoned for in our sins that buried you. That the suffering that we caused you, Jesus. And so we repent and we come and we say, please accept our confession, God. And so for those who believe in Christ Jesus, you not only have hope, you have joy, and you have a ministry to spread that and move that forward this year in boldness not in timidity there will be no spirit of that with god he will lift you up and he will draw us together to unify us and we will develop and there will be tears and there will be vulnerabilities and there will be pain but when we stick together and we are a part of following our leader the lord jesus through the cross the story is not death 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 death, Yes, death had to take place, but He resurrected. The story is the empty tomb. The story is not the fleas or the the circumstances. The story is God's glory and His love. How else does a frail woman in a concentration camp carrying buckets full of rocks look at a guard that's about to beat her and is beating her with compassion? I'll tell you how. How? same way as Jesus on the cross said, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the hero. That's the story. So for those who believe, come and receive. For those of you who are contemplating, contemplate what it may mean to have the joy, the hope of a God that loves you, that understands your prison cell of suffering, Understands it because He has been there with you. You stand. As we, sometimes, the paralysis, that suffering and fear, there's a reason He says boldness. Because the fear and the anxiety and the unwillingness to see messy things or to admit our own sin and how we're causing this, that that causes That fear stagnates and makes us and pulls us out of the game, pulls us out of the war. I want you to think about your anxieties and your fear, the things that are prohibiting God from working in your life. I want you to see the cross not as defeat, but as victory so that it will build the courage among you. Some of us, especially when the world's economy says you do not believe in God's economy, some of us say, well, I can't give up a dime. I'm going to hold my money in fear. I will not tithe a tenth. I will not increase my giving towards the advancement of the gospel that is fear how will you boldly give this year some of us say well my time it's so precious i'm speaking from my own mind i have seven kids and i run a church i possibly don't have time to to pray more or to do this more and god says try me kid let's move forward together let's Pray that God would choose. He's chosen to use us. I want to ask you something. Who are you chained to? Paul was chained to an imperial guard. Therefore, he got called to tell the gospel to the imperial guards. Who are you chained to at that cubicle at your workplace? Who are you chained to in a, in a student project? Who are you chained to in your life, and your in-laws? And people are like, amen, that is a chain. (laughs) Who are you chained to? And will you look at them in compassion when they beat you or they speak of rivalry and envy? And do you believe, do you believe that God could take this tangled, ridiculous mess and make sense of this chaos? Well, His Word does. Be in His Word. His Word will clarify this nonsense to you. And you have to stay in it with each other. Sorry. It's not because pastor here wants more people in the church. It's because it's God's design for us to travel as a community. So that we can be effectively strong and bold and courageous when we go be confronted by evil. Let's get over our confrontations and conflict with each other. And most of all, with God. Because that's where it stems from. Love you so very much. And I want to pray over you right now. Lord, I love these people. I love it when they show up for war. And you know what that looks like, God? Sometimes somebody says, I want to advance the gospel like Quinn does and says, I'm going to clean the bathrooms. I'm going to vacuum. I'm going to help write a study guide. And some say, I'll help teach. And some say, I'll bring a meal to the hurting. I'll bring, sign me up to help a, a mother who just had a baby who's very tired. Some others say, I'll do some of the hard work. I'll sit with those who are in conflict. I'll, reckon, I'll be a part of that reconciliation. And some say, no. We will not forsake the gospel. And some say, I will defend that. Those are elders. I will defend the gospel here so that people will not be shamed and so people can have a safe place to encounter God. Others say, I'll play guitar. I want to bring people into not just an experience but a reality that God is king and that He sees it all and that He's willing to work in all and through all, not just for all. So Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you that these things are manifest, that this faith is real, that we really do get to be the hands and feet of you as you are the head, you are the authority of the body. As we're your body, as you bring your nutrients, as you clarify from day one, when we see you speak into a a formless and void planet, Things get clarified and ordered. And so when you speak into us, into our little planets and our little cells, where there's victims, there's masters, there's servants, there's abusers, that's who we are. There's murder in our minds, there's murder in our hearts, there's covetousness, Lord. There's all of which you command us not to be a part of, yet our hands are in the cookie jar of disgust. So Lord, we come clean. We come to You with a repentant heart today. Some of us may come to You for the first time by coming to this communion table and pulling off a piece of bread and dipping that in what symbolizes Your blood that forgives us of sin. That will be the first time for someone today, Lord. We just thank You that Your grace is sufficient. That Paul spoke Your words in Corinthians and in Philippians. We love You so very much. Accept our offerings here. Accept our lives as that offering in a holistic way. We love You, God. We look forward to what You have for us this week. Not next Sunday, this week. And we look forward to see who You chained us to. It's got to be by Your power because we whine a lot. No whiners. Let us move forward, Lord. And take care of each other as we're each getting blasted by the enemy. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for your gospel and that you've given it to us so that we can be a part of the defense of it. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.